So uh, I want to start off, Dr. Caldwell, just by asking, uh, can you tell us, I know this isn't polite, but can you tell us your age, not your wife's age? Well, yes, I'll be happy to. My wife and I have birthdays in September and November, and they're only 48 days apart. And so our family, not very long ago, decided, well, since your birthdays are so close together, we'll have a party in between and add them up. Our ages added 185 years. She and I. Wow. We're 185 years old together. That's impressive. He's and I'm five. <laughs> I don't know if you heard that or not, but she said he's 100 and she's 85. So uh, I told you she would speak up when she needs to. <laughs> well, I always tell the truth. So I'm five years older than she. So you can figure that out. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Tell us, obviously, we're very interested in your service in the military today. That's one of the things that we want to talk about. Can you tell us uh, what military service you were in? Yes, I was in the Army Air Corps from 1943 to 1946 and was sent to the Southwest Pacific, where I served with the 43rd Bomb Group. Uh, commonly called kinsmen. They were B-24s, and that's where I was during the war. And what was your general service there? What did you end up doing? You told us the other day what you Yes, were. I um, became um, well acquainted with the Loran navigation system. Loran, long-range navigation and um, I had gone to school in the United States for quite a little while, many months until I got overseas. I was able to teach the pilots and navigators how to use a brand new system at that time. That was in 1944, and uh, they were able to see it in their planes for the first time. So it was like a radar. The radar, yes, radar. That um, was that was big for the Pacific Northwest, because yeah. obviously we didn't know. The Since region. it is such a beautiful, vast area in the Southwest Pacific, it took them a while to get the uh, equipment all ready for the use of it, for the planes themselves in the air uh, to navigate any case of uh, clouds or all kinds of other disasters they could uh, pilot, uh, the pilot could uh, find his way home to the base by the radar. I, I asked you the other day at Cracker Barrel, but I don't know if I ever got the answer, so I'm going to ask you again today. Do you remember exactly where you were when they said that World War II was over? Yes, indeed. I was at Aishima which is off uh, a Japanese island off of Okinawa to the north and west. And I remember clearly, no one forgets that, especially right. if you were in the military. Right. And then how long did it take for you to be able to come home once the war had ended? 
the war ended in August of 45, and I, I was home by January in 46. And then what happened after that? Then, uh, after I got home, I went to the, my home church, and there was the lady that sits beside me, though she was just out of high school, 17 years old. Do you think that attracted me? She, I had known her since she was two years old, and we grew up in the same church and Sunday school together, and God had prepared her as my bride. When I was in the service, I saw other military people run after anything that had two legs on. <laughs> and I said, I'll never do that. I want my children to be well born when I get married. And so I kept myself for my <laughs> lady. I didn't know she was going to be my wife after I saw her when she was two years old. But there she was, grown up. And God had prepared her for me. And how long have you two been married? Today, we have been married. Now, you have, you have to have your smartphones. <laughs> I and she have been married 26,689 days as of today. <laughs> We're just uh, 24 days past our 73rd wedding anniversary. That's Isn't she beautiful? Yes, she is. After all these years. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we're starting to get a crowd in here. I still got like the front row that's available too, if you guys want to come up here. But uh, before I continue with questions, I'm going to switch gears a little bit here on you. Is that is that all right? Yeah. Typically, we sing some songs here on Sunday morning. Yeah. And I didn't bring a song leader up here this morning, so I asked if you wouldn't mind leading in a song or two. Would you mind doing that today? I'd be delighted to. And since this is Independence Sunday, Brother Kennedy, I think as we are going to sing some hymns, we should also recognize how God has preserved this nation. There's not a country on earth, a nation on earth, that doesn't have people that want to come to the United States. We are the envy of the whole world because of the liberty and justice and freedoms that we enjoy. So, to honor God, God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with a light from above. From the mountains to the prairie to the ocean white with foam. 
God bless America, my home, sweet home. God bless America, my home, sweet home. The national anthem we stand, and I'm glad that you folks stood because we could sing beginning with the hymns, which is first. Yeah, Amazing Grace, you all know it. Maybe it's on the screen, I don't know, but we'll see. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. When we've been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to see God's praise than when we first begun. There's two other verses, but we won't sing those. <laughs> you want to be seated. What a wonderful congregation, Reverend Kennedy, you have this morning. I can barely see. I have low vision to begin with. And then the light keeps me from seeing your faces. And I know they must be shining because they're in the United States of America. Uh, you got two. There you go. So you came home after the war. You got married. Tell us about your kids. Well, it didn't take long. <laughs> <laughs> After all, <laughs> I had waited. I, I didn't have a chance to go to college. I was just out of high school when uh, Mr. Roosevelt said that he needed me worse than what I was doing. So um, off I went. But at any rate, uh, yes, we have two daughters first. 
and then a son, the last, the third of our three children. God gave us three, and then they brought others to be part of our family, extended our family until now we have 21 when we all get together. That's how many were at our 185th birthday party. <laughs> grandkids? How many grandkids? We have, uh, I say we have eight grandkids and eight great-grandkids, and I count the ones that have been brought in as well as our own. Very good. Yeah. And so uh, after you finished the war, what was your career after that? To answer that question, I must say I didn't have a career after that. I took off to college. I had told everyone that I was going to be a veterinary doctor because I had worked for a veterinarian who lived just a mile and a half from our farm out in Kansas and I was so enthralled and interested in what he did as a veterinarian, I thought, oh, that's, that would be a wonderful vocation to be a veterinary doctor. And so that's what I told everybody I was going to be. But I went to college, and uh, the only college really that we thought about going to, my brother and I, who was also in the Air Corps, was home, and together we decided to go to a little private school just 30 miles from where we lived. And it was a Wesleyan Methodist school. And so we went together. We could ride in the same automobile back and forth. During the week, we would be at the school and at home on the weekends. And so we went to school together. The GI Bill helped us. And at that little school, instead of becoming a veterinary doctor, the Lord redirected my vocational plans. And at an altar prayer, the Lord whispered to me, you know how he whispers in your mind, I don't want you to be a veterinary doctor. I want you to be a minister of souls, saving people from fire at the end of life. I want you to be a minister of the God. I quarreled with the Lord. I said, I can't do that. There's nobody in our family. The school I went to, there were all kinds of preacher boys, and they knew kinds of things about preaching, but I wouldn't have the faintest idea what to do. I'll show you. You know how God led Moses and so many other Old Testament and New Testament people. I'll guide you. Just trust me. So that's what I did. So, okay, now back up. Did When you went into the war, did you know Jesus as your personal Savior? No, I did not. I had tried to make a start, but nothing worked. And in high school, I soon became attracted to everything else that was going on. And it wasn't for God. 
So how did you get through the war without your faith? The Lord spared me from a tragic accident that happened to a B-29 who was on a practice flight one day. And two others, plus the pilot and the navigator, were crashed into the ocean. And I had been on that plane. And the Lord spared me from going down with that plane and as a result of that miracle of God's protection for me, but disaster for those other people, we crashed into the ocean. I couldn't eat or drink or sleep or anything for a long time. And finally, at Clark Air Base, north of Manila, in the Philippine Islands, one night with pen flashlight under the covers, I was searching God's Word for some kind of hope because I was so stirred that my life had been spared. Surely there's something that God has to tell me. And I found, yes, I had a New Testament. My mother had given to me when I went into the service, and she said, Son, when you're in the service, read this. And I had not read it. But that night under the covers with Japanese flying missions 24 hours a day around the clock, no light except my pen flashlight, I searched through the Scripture until I came to First John 1 9. You know what it is, don't you? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I read that again and again and again. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all Righteousness. I read that again and again and again. I said, that must be for me. I'd heard that, I'm sure, in Sunday school and church, but it hadn't meant anything until that night. I started confessing my sin. Page after page after page of sins. The thing that really startled me more than anything else of my sinful nature was the fact that my tongue had become wicked. Every other word almost was a curse word. Something that I had picked up in the service. It was common for service people to use the name of God in vain and to use all kinds of barnyard words. And that... I said, I know my mother is praying for me. She told me to read this Bible. She must have been praying for me to read this. And so I asked God, Oh, Lord, I can't go home with a wicked, wicked heart and mind and tongue like I have. And that night, a miracle under the covers happened.
God delivered me from that terrible tongue. From that morning when I woke up to this day, I have not used those terrible words. They're in there. I wish I could get rid of them. They're in there, but I do not use them. I reject those. I blush. I, I, when I hear somebody else using those words, it just hurts me to think that people would use curse words when there are so many wonderful words to use in the English language. You don't have to use those things. So my wife can testify that from the time we've been married all these days, I do not use those words. I have not used those words. I don't want those words. When everybody... When somebody even says, OMG, OMG, that hurts me. Oh, don't do that. Unless you're praying to God. And most people who say OMG, they're not praying. That's a byword. That becomes a terrible word. And I think it's a reflection on God. According to Scripture. Anyway. That changed my life. That's where the turn came. And so my dear one, by the time we were married in June of 1946, she knew I was going to be a minister. And she was with me, has been with me all these days. Never a question, never a doubt, never an objection as to where the Lord sent us. Always. She was so glad to get off the farm <laughs> when I married her. She'll never go back to the farm. I I know one of the roles that you served in ministry uh, as an educator, but was that the only role in ministry, or how did it, how did your ministry start out? I, I became a pastor first of all. Uh, in 1948, uh, 1948, and I was a pastor until 1968, 68, 68, 48, 60, 20 years. 20 years. And after pastoring in Kansas, Missouri, and Colorado, in the same uh, conference of the Wesleyan Methodist Church, uh, I was um, alert off to teach other young men and women preparing for ministry in uh, a uh, Christian school. I didn't want to go. I loved to pastor. But two men came from certainly above my rank in anything I ever did or would do. And they said, if we showed you how, your ministry would be so expanded now that you've pastored 20 years in helping others preparing. If we could show you how that could happen, would you come and teach I said, well, go ahead. 
And so they went to it, and I said, I will pray about it. And so after prayer, we agreed that we would teach in the Christian school where young men and women were preparing for the ministry. And that got me into the teaching role, and I became uh, a doctor of theology at Indiana Western University, which is not far from here, in Marion, Indiana. And uh, How long were you there? Excuse me? How long were you there? From... Uh, 72 to to I finished my last class that I would teach in 19, uh, no, no, 2008. Not on campus. Not on campus, but uh, in extended schools as well as online and um, going to the extended uh, campuses were. Indiana West University had schools. So, uh, what? So obviously, you live here in Fishers. The headquarters of the church moved to Indianapolis, and so I was a general editor of the Wesleyan Church at that time, as well as teaching, holding revival meetings, and filling in for pastors and all kinds of, of Christian work like that. So I came with the denomination when the headquarters moved here to Indianapolis. And um, we settled in uh, Fishers as our home. And I continued to serve as general editor and uh, teaching and preaching. Still to this day. Excuse me? Still to this day you do that. Yes. Uh, every fourth Sunday I preach at... Uh, Prairie Lakes uh, Health Campus to the people my age, so I'm one of them, and they understand me, and I understand them. <laughs> and my wife plays the piano when we hold services there, and I visit them every week on Wednesday. And I'm with them, and I sing to them, and I pray with them, and I'm with them in their rooms and wherever they are. So that's my ministry now. Very nice. Yeah. So ministry never ends. No, it does not. And if you think that just because you're retired, that's the end of No, it isn't. That's just the beginning of a new adventure. <laughs> Don't miss it. And your local church is where? We attend uh, Trinity East on Oleo Road. That's where we are charter members of a church that was started uh, 25 years ago. Wow. And we're the only charter members left there. The rest of them are all younger. <laughs> we are the oldest. I don't know whether my wife is the oldest, but I'm the oldest uh, of anybody in the church. <laughs> Nobody wants to get any older. <laughs> I got one more question for you, and then I'm going to open it up to the room here. Uh, I'm going to take you back to that night under the covers. Yeah. And... You said that a miracle happened, the miracle that the Lord took your wicked heart out and yeah. replaced it with a new heart, a transformation. Yeah. Mind, especially the mind. Heart, heart is, a, is an organ, but where is your heart? The center of your being where decisions are made 
comes through the mind. I don't know where the heart is. I don't know where the core, but the core of my being is in my mind. What do I think? How am I directed? What mind do you have? Do you know what mind you have? The mind of the spirit, yes. Let this mind be in you. Let this mind be in you. Yeah, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who thought it, didn't think it would be wise. So he became nothing in order to be the servant of God. Yeah. So you became a new creation that night underneath the sheet. I certainly did. And the man who was the choir director, director of the chapel, I went to church all the time in the, in the service. I went to chapel. I didn't miss chapel. I was there with the rest of them. Everybody thought I was a good guy. But they didn't know how terrible my tongue was. Well, the ones who were with me did. But they were in the same condition. So we were all together in chapel. But the one who led the choir was a genuine born-again Christian. And every time I saw him, he made me miserable. <laughs> because I knew he was so good and I was so bad. And I avoided him every chance I could. But the morning I woke up and got out of the sack, he was the first one. I wanted to see. I said, Walter, you'll never know what happened to me last night. He says, oh, yes, I think I do. <laughs> he saw a young fellow with a shining face. He knew what had happened. And I shared with him. He became the closest friend I had in service. He's the only one that I consistently continued to right to after I got out of the service. And he was had been in the postal service in Arkansas and he was much older than I and he he passed away. So uh, but I continued communication by letter, not email, because we didn't have email. Is this not one of the greatest days at Lebner? It was a grand day. Uh, and let me give glory to God this way. When I got home from service, my wife's sister had married a man who was working for their dad. And he became, of course, because he was a family member, a friend of mine. He said, Wayne, I want to tell you while you were in service, every Wednesday night at our church, we had prayer meeting. Your mother was there, and she requested prayer for you and your brother in the military every Wednesday night. Don't think that what happened to you was without somebody keeping you safe and bringing you through the waters. Those people in my home church, my mother leading them, you mothers here, you mothers here have a wonderful responsibility and privilege. Keep those babies 
those ones growing up, regardless of how old they get, keep them in mind to bring them to Jesus. And while I'm speaking, let me tell you one more thing. So many people ask us, what is it that has kept you together? Well, in 1946, there were more people married in the United States than other, any other year on record in the United States. More people. Because in our churches and in the whole kind of mind state of people, to divorce was a terrible sin. You might kill each other, but you didn't divorce. <laughs> you stuck it out regardless. If you had to fight it out, fight, but stay together. And so what happened in 1996, 50 years later? More people celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary than any year on record in the United States including today, because so many people got married in 1946. Is that 1946? More people celebrating their 70th wedding anniversary. We did when we were there. Now, what's the next 10 years? <laughs> the God only knows. The glue, what's the glue? The glue that holds us together. And don't forget this. Prayer on our knees with devotions in the morning after breakfast. That was our schedule. You may have a different schedule, but family devotions. Whenever I dated my wife before we were married in 1946, when I took her home, we knelt in her uh, living, room. living room and prayed together. We weren't married. It would have been like in late February and March, April, May, whenever we went out together and I went home, took her home. I would go in the home and bow there with her because I knew I was going to be a minister and we wanted to be wherever God wanted us to be. And we prayed for God's direction. And her mother, her mother set a trap for me. I didn't know that mothers set traps for boyfriends. But she set a trap to make sure that I would keep coming. She had pie or cake or cookies <laughs> or something on the table so that I would stay a while and get acquainted better. 
Of course, I took the bait. <laughs> and her dad said to her mother, Oh, you, you think so much of that boy? If Joanne doesn't marry him, you will. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. I'm going to open up the floor here and let them ask you. Any- Too many stories. Oh, yeah, I know. We can go on all day. It'd be awesome. But <laughs> questions? Don't be shy. You'll have to repeat them. Because I will I- if I see a hand go up. Yeah. Where? Oh, Matt, yes. He would like to hear each of your favorite verses of Scripture. Joan, that's you too. Yes. We each have a salvation verse and each have a life verse. I'll let you go first. Okay, it's Proverbs 3, uh, 5 and 6. Uh, i got to think. Um, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy... It starts out, commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Mm. I think I mixed it up. You're good. That's the idea. You're good. (laughs) Well, you know my salvation verse. And I didn't even know anything about a salvation verse until I went back. We went back to visit in New Guinea, where I was in the military. And they asked me in the first time in my life I'd been asked, what is your salvation verse? I didn't know you had to have a salvation verse, but I had it. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. They were so happy because some of them knew that verse too. The New Guinea people. And your life verse? Oh, my life verse is 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency, may abound unto every good work. That's the fullest verse in the Bible. Those superlative words. Look it up. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. That says everything. God is sufficient. More questions? Yes, Mike. I'm just curious. They've got a lot of different types of ministry. And curious if they've had any ministry directly related to current or did you hear that? They, you've done various ministries over the year. Have you done any ministry towards uh, the current former military service? The only thing would be contacted by mail or email in keeping contact with people where I have taught. Uh, I didn't tell you this, but after... Uh, I had been uh, teaching for 10 years at Indiana Western University. I went on a sabbatical. And uh, my wife and I 
uh, went on a, a teaching preaching tour uh, to the Southwest Pacific where we had been, where I had been. And uh, since then, we have traveled and I have preached and ministered in over 30 countries. And in those countries, I had opportunity to contact some of the people that were in service at WW2 or were in military of some kind where they were stationed. So, And sometimes in our pastorate, we live near a, a, a base, a military base. <laughs> Great. He's ex-military. They're, they're pretty old now. <laughs> Luke, you have a question? Yeah. Uh, what are, what are for, for both of you, what are some of the, let's say, the bigger things and the little things you do to encourage one another? What are, what are the bigger things and the little things that you do to encourage one another? Okay, I'll let you go first. Well, early on, like you know, marriage isn't a bed of roses altogether. You've got to learn to live together. I learned early on that peace in your home is worth everything. And to keep peace and to be loving and kind, that's about all I can say. Well... Uh, this is in the context of the question, but maybe not directly answering the question. Um, we have not always agreed, constantly. She's a leader, I'm a leader, in the sense that we, we are self-starters. No one has to push us to get things done. We like to see things move. And so we've had to be careful that we don't push each other faster than they're wanting to go or slower than they want to go. And that takes patience. And one of the hardest things for a man ever to conquer in his life is not only his language, as I mentioned to you, but also to endure and to be patient. And so... The finest things that I have tried to do, I haven't completely, here I am an old man and I'm still not very patient. <laughs> and my, my wife knows that. She has that that's not a little thing, that's a major thing. And uh, I suppose the little things that, uh, it's the little foxes that steal the vines that sometimes uh, bring disharmony. And that is uh, little things that seem inconsequential to me. <laughs> they, they are very important to her. And things that to me are very, very important don't mean a thing to her. So it's give and take. It has to be. And um, we still... After all these days, we're in it for the long run. That's awesome. Anybody else? Jim? He said, if it's not too personal 
And if it is too personal, you don't have to answer this. Oh, I'll answer it. <laughs> <laughs> I about threw in another question. Just that. <laughs> uh, he wants to know what your biggest trial has been. Well, like it says, none of your business. <laughs> but my biggest trial with my wife or? Just in general. In general, the biggest trial. Well, I can tell you one of my wife's biggest trials. <laughs> and that is some cockney on the road that gets in her way <laughs> when she's driving. Some, and she always says it must be a lady. <laughs> that gets in front of her <laughs> when she... <clears throat> she's my driver. I don't drive anymore. After I broke my leg in uh, 2014, I lost my driver's license, and the family said, you're not going to get a driver's license again. You have no business driving. <laughs> well, I was younger then, in, 19, in 2014. After all, that's only four or five years ago. <laughs> anyway... I said, all right, I won't be driving. So I think that's one of the hardest things that he's had to endure. One of the hardest is to give up the wheel. I think any man doesn't want to ride with his wife. <laughs> Maybe some of you don't care, but most men like to be in control of the wheel. And so it's been a trial on his part and on mine. Um, I learned to drive on a tractor in the fields, and then I graduated to a mo uh, Model A in the pasture. And I love to drive. I always have. So I believe the Lord put that in me because I, I knew he knew I was going to have to. I learned to downtown big city driving in Denver, Colorado in 1962 because that's when all of a sudden he landed in the hospital with eye problems. And... Um, so the Lord's given me that, but I know it's been hard for him. And many times you'll say, I just can't sit over here like a mouse. He has to tell me when the light turns green and when uh, somebody's over here pulling over. You been there, ladies? <laughs> That's a wonderful observation. <laughs> And often when I give counsel, <laughs> she says, my foot was in the air, <laughs> ready to go down on the brake or the, <laughs> the axle. Oh, this is good. Good stuff. Anybody else? We have fun. You better believe it. it but you're a team. You're a, it's the teamwork. That's that's the beauty. Yeah, it is. Uh, humor is a great part of a married life, and we have humor. It's good to laugh, and even pull jokes jokes on one another. What's Surprises. The, what's, what's the best joke you've ever pulled on him? I don't know. <laughs> um, can't think of one right off, but. We do. <laughs> yeah, good. I don't go around thinking of jokes. Uh, 
or uh, some of the worst things she's ever pulled on me. I don't, I don't remember. I try not to uh, remember things that would um, bring up um, memories that uh, would invoke um, hurt or anything like that. There's he a doesn't lot of, hold grudges. That's one thing we don't do no, is hold grudges hold against grudge. one another. Because that's yeah. not the way to go. <laughs> yes, Luke? Do you have nicknames for each other or have you in the past? He's Papa. Well, I've picked up Nanny because that's what everybody else calls her. The... Uh, Children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren all say nanny because in so many ways she fulfills that uh, title. And uh, she is so uh, gifted. Her training in high school and her training through the years as a mother uh, has enabled her to be the most beautiful. And I'm not stretching this at all. People ooh and awe over her handiwork, her sewing, her knitting, her quilting. It is fabulous. And she's never sold a thing. She's given everything away to the all the family around the world, new babies in the church, every state, hospitals, nursing homes, away go these wonderful, beautiful things. And people all and all and all over. I have promised that as soon as is possible for me, I'm going to set up in our front yard, our front uh, where we live, a place where I can hang a bunch of these things and I'll sit out there on a stool and sell these. You get some of your money back, right? <laughs> that, yeah, and I may never get to that, but <laughs> that's right. my dream. Here's how I want to close today. Can you give us one word, just one word that you would like to leave for these people today and then possibly close with your favorite song? One word. Doesn't have to be one word, just one. Pray. Prayer says a lot. Prayer. Keep contact with the Lord. Pray. Pray about everything. My wife prays about everything. She loses a tiny, tiny, tiny little needle. She prays. Because God knows where he is. And she finds... Don't lose needles in the house. <laughs> <laughs> that God has answered many prayers because with children and little ones around, you don't dare have a needle. When you, when you quilt, there are... They're very small anyway. And if you step on a needle, you know it's a very dangerous thing. But um, the Lord has answered many prayers. 
to help me find it when I've lost one. I don't aim to lose them. They just slip out sometimes. But my word is love God with all your heart. Keep his commandments and serve him. Your favorite song? <clears throat> That's difficult, but um, I'll sing this. Each day I'll do a golden deed by helping those who are in need. My life on earth is but a span. And so I'll do the best I can. Life's evening sun is sinking low. A few more days and I must go to meet the deeds that I have done. Where there will be no setting sun. If I walk in the pathway of duty, if I turn, <laughs> I know the song. <laughs> when I get to the end of the way. <laughs> I thought I was going to weep, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> you sing it. <laughs> we go we know a lot of songs. In our morning devotions, you, you've got to hear this. We each read books to each other. Now that we have in 1993, 1992 it was, I was no longer general editor of the Wesleyan Church. And so we had more time for devotions in the morning. And we took time to read books. At last count, we had read to each other. She reads a book and I read a book as part of our morning devotions in all kinds of literature, history and ethics and theology and anything you can think of, we read books to each other. And at last count, there were over 2,000 books that we had read since 1992. And that's whatever years there would be. There'd be eight plus nine, 27 years. In that time, one or two pages at a time in the morning, that's all. Then we read devotional literature. And then we always sing a song with each other together. And we read scripture. Right now we're in Jeremiah. I read a verse, she reads a verse. Back and forth until we read a chapter. A chapter of scripture every day. And then we comment, if we have any comments, and then we pray together on our knees. This is the glue I was telling you about. She prays on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I pray on Tuesday, 
Thursday and Saturday, and we both pray on Sunday. So that's our devotions. And if that's helpful, be sure that in your devotions together, sing a song, get a songbook. At last count, I don't remember how many songbooks we had sung through. It was something like 15 or 20. We'd sung every song, the songs that we didn't know we'd read. Sing, 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 sing. If you don't sing, read. There's theology, all kinds of things in the songs. Don't omit them when you have time. Now, of course, with little ones growing up and going to school and all this, you don't have much time. We didn't either. But we still stayed with it a little time every morning. Those kids didn't go out of the house. I know. Without knowing. I could go on and on. After all, the Lord called me to speak. <laughs> but the light's red. <laughs> We're into overtime. Oh, yes. It's all good. It's I'm all good. I'm sorry. No, you're yeah, good. Let's say since I started for the kingdom, since my life he controls, since I gave my heart to Jesus, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. The more that I love him, more love he bestows. Each day is like heaven, my heart overflows. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. Amen. Would you do us the honor and pray for us, and then I'll close by praying for you. Okay. I sure will. I stand. Precious Heavenly Father, how wonderful you are to care for us so lovingly and carefully, each of us, from the time that we have been born, even from the time that we were conceived in the womb you have known us your word tells us so 
And we thank you, thank you for this congregation with Reverend Kennedy and for this meeting place that they have chosen and for the people who have invited them and encouraged them and loved them to come and be a participant together as a congregation on Sunday mornings or Bible studies. Oh, Lord, I pray your blessing upon Brother Kennedy, his family, his loved ones, those he works with, the police department, the fire department of Fishers, the whole city of Fishers, with Mayor Scott. And thank you for top to bottom, all of the officials in the council, in everything that is being done to move this city and move things forward in the name of progress and Brother Kennedy in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray your blessing to hover over this whole city just now having come through the celebration of the 4th of July independence with the festival this last weekend and now. Thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for what you have done for this whole conclave of people, how you have loved all of us. And now I pray that you will never, never, as you promised, to leave us nor forsake us even in the lonely hours, even in the hours when we don't know which way to turn, you're going to be there to help us. And thank you so much for how you have kept us and still keep us. Our lives are in your hand. Thank you that we are safely ensconced in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus, we thank you for our friends. Wayne and Joan Caldwell, and the life that they have lived in the name of Jesus Christ. So we ask that you continue to give them blessings, give them great health, allow them to enjoy one another and their family throughout these years. But thank you for today, for your message that you've brought through them, through their lives, through their journey, as believers in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior. So today we give you thanks and honor for such a beautiful morning. And we pray all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Hey, thank you for being here today. Hug a neck and we'll see you next week.